the balcony. There are also pews available in the balcony. And we're just doing everything we can to, to worship the Lord with all of our hearts, but do so in a way that respects uh, the best uh, guidance on safety. So you can feel comfortable to be here. And if you're at home um, worshiping with us, we're glad to welcome you. Uh, let me also add my wish of happy Father's Day. And let me give fathers a verse from the Old Testament, uh, Genesis 18, where the Lord is speaking of Abraham and he says, I have chosen him so that he will direct his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing what is right and just so that the Lord will bring about for Abraham what he has promised him. This is an Old Testament passage that is a good passage for dads uh, to be reminded of their responsibility and the privilege of being a father. Happy Father's Day to all of you. The passage this morning is, the, the sermon is titled, Chosen to Serve Christ. And the passage is in Mark 3, and uh, we'll be looking at that passage in just a moment together. Let me begin by saying that people have different ideas about what it means to be a Christian, don't they? I mean, some people think of being a Christian as a fire escape. You know, I'm going to get out of hell. Uh, they want Jesus in the future, but don't want to be bothered with his requirements or his direction now. They want Jesus as Savior, but not as Lord. Others think that being a Christian is a, sort of a type of civic concern. You know, we're, we're committed to changing society and making things better, social concern, uh, and, and churches become centers of social concern. Now, social concern is a good thing, but it doesn't make one a Christian. For others, a, being a Christian is just a name. That is, the, the sentence, I am a Christian, means nothing more than I'm not a Buddhist and I'm not a Jew and I'm not uh, Islamic. I'm a Christian. That's true in many countries in Europe. It's true in Germany where we spent several years. As a matter of fact, when we went to Germany, um, our kids were in public school, learning German <laughs> the fast way, <laughs> and we were in language school. We told our kids uh, not, to, um, not to tell them that, that we were missionaries, because that would be misunderstood, just to tell them that dad was a teacher in a college. Well, the kids had religion school, or religion class, in public school. I mean, uh, everyone has religion class, whether you're in the Catholic, the, the state church is both Catholic and Protestant. So anyway, one day Jonathan let it slip that we were here as missionaries. So the religion teacher called me at home, and she asked why we had come to Germany as missionaries. She said, because we're already all Christians. And um, so I'm still learning German, so I agree to come into the class to explain. 
And uh, I met with a, a fellow believer, a German believer, who helped me to write out my testimony and, um, and be able to better express myself in German so that I could explain that being a Christian is about a personal relationship with God. Um, and one of the things that I said was, Die Taufe rettet niemanden, which means baptism saves no one. Just because I'm baptized in infancy, whether in the, well, in the uh, state church, it doesn't make me a Christian, I tried to explain. I said that we need a personal relationship with God. But in Germany, when we were there, nominal, the, the nation is Christian, nominally. Such confusion about the meaning of being a Christ follower is not unique to our day, but also present in Jesus' day. And that's what I want us to see uh, as we look at this passage this morning. We're going to read two paragraphs from Mark 3, beginning at verse 7. Mark 3, verse 7. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all that he was doing, many people. That phrase is uh, very emphatic. It could be translated, a great multitude came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, uh, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God! But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. Verse 13 Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These were the twelve he appointed, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, to whom he gave the name Boaginus, which means sons of thunder. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Let me just offer a word of prayer. Father, guide us as we explore these lines from Mark's gospel. I pray that you would speak to each of us and give to each of us an open heart, we pray. Amen. It says that Jesus withdrew to the lake and a, and a multitude from Galilee followed him. It's interesting to notice the contrast or the juxtaposition of verse 7 with verse 6. In verse 6, the leaders, the Pharisees and the Herodians, are plotting to get rid of Jesus. He's got to go. Got to kill him. 
Here in verse 7, the, the, the people, by the multitudes, are pressing forward to get close to him. The expression, a great multitude, occurs twice in verse 7 and 8, even though it's translated differently. It's translated large crowd in the NIV. Look where they're coming from. They come from Judea. Judea is the designation of a region. Jerusalem is also mentioned. Jerusalem is a city, and Judea is the region that surrounds it. It's sort of like saying Poughkeepsie in Dutchess County. And then it says they came from Idumea. Idumea is another region to the south of Judea. It's like saying they came from Dutchess County and Putnam County. Uh, and it comes, they come from regions across the Jordan uh, on the eastern side of the river and around Tyre and Sidon. Those are Gentile cities. Sidon is 50 miles to the north of Galilee. So people are coming from all around. And they're coming for many reasons. There's a great crowd that is here pressing uh, in upon Jesus. Jesus' fame is spreading everywhere. And you think about what is in their minds, these people. And I think there are probably a lot of things in their minds. First, some of them just are sick or they're hurting and they want to get well. None of us likes to be sick or hurting and we can understand that. And notice that they're pressing forward to be healed. They long to touch him, it says in verse 10. Jesus says to his disciples, get a boat ready in case I need to just I have to escape from the, the crush of the crowds. Some of them, I think, are coming out of curiosity. And now I'm, now I'm supposing, I'm wondering, and conjecturing. I think some are coming out of curiosity. They're hearing about miracles and signs and they want to see what's going on. Some of them, I think, are coming because they're thinking maybe this is the one who's finally going to throw out the Romans. Maybe this is the one. Uh, some are coming out of genuine spiritual hunger, I am sure. There's, there's a prophet God, is, God has raised up a prophet. We must hear what he has to say. And there's a genuine spiritual hunger on the part of many or a part of, on the part of some. Evil spirits, when they see him, they fall down before him and they shriek out, you are the son of God. But demonic voices are always off key. Uh, they do not confess that he is the son of God with faith and certainly Jesus, Jesus silences them. He will not become known through such voices. He will be proclaimed by those who trust in him and who proclaim the truth as he instructs. But so many of these people, these great crowds, were missing the real point. Uh, they rushed in upon Jesus to find healing or to see a miracle or in, in the hopes of throwing the Romans out. But they don't really understand Jesus and his mission and what he's really come to accomplish. And this makes me express the warning. Uh, what about what about you? Are you part of the crowd milling around Jesus for the wrong reason, out of uh, selfish reasons or out of uh, 
you know, the desire to be a good citizen, but you don't really trust in Jesus and understand his mission and, and you're committed to him. That's the warning that emerges from these great crowds. Jesus now calls his chosen, or he calls his disciples, and, and we're going to see what happens now in the next paragraph. Notice what, he, what happens. Jesus went up on a mountainside, it says. There are hills. The Sea of Galilee is surrounded by hills. Uh, and they, he went up on one of these hills. It would probably be better translated hill. We shouldn't envision some huge mountain. Uh, he went up on one of the hills and he, w- he, was being, he w- wanted to be alone with the Father. The Gospel of Luke tells us he spent the night in prayer. Uh, Mark does not mention that. He spent the night in prayer seeking the Father before he chose the Twelve. Certainly an example for us to follow. We too, before we make an important decision, ought to seek the Father in prayer. Uh, This attitude of trusting and depending on the Father that the Savior exhibits ought to also always be our attitude. Notice that the, the text says in verse 13, and then he called to those he, those he wanted, and they came to him, and he appointed 12, designating them apostles. So the Lord called them and appointed them. And uh, so we ought to note Christ's initiative here. He called them. He chose them. There is a debate a discussion in theology about the role of God's sovereignty and the role of human response. And certainly that debate is not, uh, not resolved here, but there is certainly an, an emphasis on Christ's initiative. It does say that he called those he wanted and he appointed them. So, and in another passage, Jesus said, you did not choose me but I chose you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. But I want you to notice that not only is there the initiative of Christ, he calls them, but there's also the response of these 12 men. It says, he called them and they came to him, verse 13. And it's very important that you understand that if Christ is calling you, that you respond, that you come to him and turn to him and trust in him. It's John Stott's testimony. John Stott was a pastor in London, Christian leader and a British leader. His testimony was that as a teenager, he thought, you know, Christ died for the world and everyone was saved. He didn't think he had to, uh, to do anything. And then someone explained, you have to respond to what Christ has done. You have to turn to him and trust in him. And so he did and he was converted and John Stott was, a, was an active and eager uh, student and then servant of Christ for many decades. Well, this passage says that Christ chose them and they came to him, emphasizing or at least mentioning both sides of that discussion. Now, what do we learn or what, what do we know about these 12? Well, let me say first of all that um, only five of them have been mentioned before in Mark's story. I mean, he has mentioned Peter 
and Andrew. He's mentioned James and John, and he's also mentioned Levi. Levi was called from his tax booth in chapter 2. Now he mentions all 12. And the others uh, we know less about. Certainly from Mark's gospel, we know little about, about the others. We learn some things about some of them, but many of them uh, we do not know much about. But we do know some things, and we can see it in this passage, and I think it's important to say it. First of all, they were common people. They were common men. I mean, fishermen, one of them is a tax collector, common people. They were common people, and that's encouraging to us. It means that Christ chooses and can use common people like you and me. I mean, these guys didn't have PhDs in Hebrew Bible. They were not trained rabbis. They were common people. And furthermore, we, 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 we know that they, they loved Jesus. I mean, they were responding to his message. And they were teachable. They were, they were willing to be identified with him, and they were teachable. And that is the kind of person that Christ uses. A person who's just a common man or a common woman whom he chooses, willing to be identified with him and ready to, uh, to be taught by him. Uh, and, you know, you can think of so many people who are just common people that God really uses. Uh, one of the people I think of in that category is a guy by the name of Bus Heisler. Bus Heisler was in my home church in Collinsville, Illinois. Bus was not an educated man. He could not, you know, preach or teach uh, in, in Sunday school. But Bus was, uh, had, a, had a, a great gift of friendliness. And the warmest smile east of the Mississippi. And Bus used his gifts of friendliness to, to welcome people to church for decades, for decades. The first person you saw, the first hand you shook back in the days when we shook hands, was, uh, was Bus Heisler. Welcome, Gary. Good to see you this morning. Give you a bulletin and welcome you to church. He had a wonderful gift of just making people feel welcome. And Bus Heisler, just a common man who God really used for decades in that post. First person you see as you walk into the church. You know, this last week I read an article about uh, Juneteenth, the, the celebration of, well, yesterday, uh, Saturday, uh, Friday, pardon me, the 19th, uh, the celebration of the Union, the day the Union General came to the slaves in Texas and informed them of the Emancipation Proclamation that they, they were free. I read an article about that and those people uh, this last week. The article said, reminded us that that proclamation was an answer to centuries of prayer. The article talked about the, uh, the African-American slaves in the South and how they were meeting secretly off near the river or off in a field. They were having church alone. They, were, they had their own prayers and their own songs and their own preachers. We're reminded of those preachers who were teaching those African slaves 
to trust in Jesus, to hold on to Jesus, that Jesus was the Savior. Those men were, it was, they were not educated. They were given no education. But there they were, common people, teaching Jesus, pointing these other fellow slaves to trust in Jesus, and that's the kind of person that God uses. Common people, people like you, and me. That's the, one of the things we should see as we look at this passage. Another thing we should see is that Jesus brings people who are very different together. One of the 12 that's listed here, he's called Levi in chapter 2, he's called Matthew in this list, was a tax collector. And that means that he um, was a collaborator with Rome. Uh, the Romans had invaded, they were in control, Caesar ruled the world, and tax collectors were collaborating with, they were betraying their own country and collaborating with the, with the invaders. Matthew was one of them. Another one that's listed, he's listed in verse 18, is Simon the Zealot. You notice that? He's called Simon the Zealot. The Zealots were a group of uh, Jewish people who were hiding their swords and biding their time. They were the opposite of collaborators. They were extreme patriots. We're going to get rid of these Romans. We're going to drive them out of our country. So here's Simon, a zealot, extreme patriot. Here's Matthew, a collaborator with Rome. Political division that could scarcely be sharper. Now, there is no political division in our country, is there? We have never lived in a time where there was more political division than now. I know Christians who just don't look at Facebook anymore or they, they take several days off because they they can't stand to see some of the things that their friends, their fellow believers, might post online on Facebook. The division in our country is strong and the division between believers on political and social questions, on a particular, particular leader or particular issues is very strong indeed. In this passage, Matthew left his tax booth. And Simon left his sword and both of them followed Jesus. Something more important than political differences or social issues was here. The kingdom of God was coming into this, into this world and they were focused on Jesus and his kingdom. And the Lord Jesus does that very same thing today. Setting aside different opinions on social questions or particular leaders, we must focus on Jesus and allow him to unite us. He brings together educated and uneducated, rich and poor. He brings together male and female, black, white, and brown. He brings us all together and makes us one in his kingdom. That we see in this passage, and it's important for us to see that. There's one more thing that we should see in this passage and that Christ has a plan for these disciples and the plan he had for them is a plan he has for us also. The immediate plan, notice what it says in verse um, uh, 13, 
Um, actually, it's verse 14. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. So there's a twofold purpose here, that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. Now, of course, the, the apostles are unique. We're not apostles. Uh, but there is, we can look at those lines and apply them to ourselves and think about what they mean for us as well. Think about he appointed them to be with him. The crowds could not be with him all the time. He chose these 12 to be with him. And I want you to think about the fact that being with Christ is hard. It's hard because of who we are and who he is. He is God. God become man. He is holiness in flesh. And we are filled with darkness. And as we follow these men, as they're following Jesus through the gospel, we see how hard it was for them. They would have arguments about which of them was the greatest or which would be the most important in the kingdom. And again and again, they had to be confronted and corrected and changed. It's hard to be in the presence of Jesus, in the presence of holiness and righteousness. And it is indeed very important for us today also to be with him and to be transformed by being in his presence. It's not easy to see that spirit of self-reliance or that pride or that assurance that you are right and others are wrong that's in your soul and needs to be corrected, needs to be changed. But that's exactly what he calls us to. We must also spend time in his presence, in his word and subjected to his spirit and allow him to change us and to transform us, even though it's difficult. It's exceedingly important. He called them to be with him, first of all, and to be transformed by, that, by the presence of Christ. That's an ongoing process for all of us but also to bring the kingdom to others. He would send them out to preach and to bring deliverance from demonic power as they, as they proclaimed the kingdom. It's always important to add another voice. The Lord Jesus had been preaching and he was going to send them out, we'll see later on, two by two, to also proclaim the good news, the, repent and believe the kingdom of God is at hand and to demonstrate the power of the kingdom. It's always important to add one more voice. The Lord Jesus is adding these 12. Some years ago, I read about a church in Kansas, uh, Coffeyville, Kansas. They were, um, they were distributing cards, and the cards said simply, um, please drive safely, the person you hit may be on his way to First Baptist Church. And you're welcome to come too. Well, someone who received that card, one of the men who got that card was, um, was studying with a cult. And he was kind of intrigued 
by the card. So he made an appointment with the pastor and met with the pastor to talk about the card and just talk about spiritual things. Well, the pastor explained the gospel. The good news, the astonishing news that apart from merit or things that we do, we can be rescued from sin by the death and resurrection and trusting in Jesus, the Son of God, for salvation. Well, he, he heard the gospel and he believed. And uh, he was transformed. Well, this man had a lot of contacts. And in the course of the next year, he led 31 people to Christ. That's the value of adding one more voice to the proclamation of the kingdom. Well, the Lord Jesus is doing that here. He is adding voices. So he's chosen them that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach. And we need to also see that Christ is building for the future. Christ chose 12. Why 12? Why not 10? Or why not 15? Why 12? 12 is intentional and 12 is very important. How many tribes of Israel were there? Twelve. There were twelve patriarchs, right? And uh, Israel had been founded on the twelve, but Israel had tragically failed in its mission. Israel was to display the glory of God, the holiness of God, and the love of God to the whole world. And Israel had tragically failed in its mission. As a matter of fact, in this very context, Israel, the, the leaders of Israel, at least, are planning to kill their very own Messiah. So Israel has failed. So the Lord Jesus is choosing 12 because he is, God is beginning again. This is the new people of God, the new Israel, the Messianic community, the church. And that's what Christ is is beginning. He's chosen 12 because God must start over. He must bring the, the purpose which was expressed to Abraham to bring the blessing of God to all people uh, through the seed of Abraham. He must begin again with this new people of God. As a matter of fact, the kingdom was taken away from Israel and given to the church. Now, if that sounds a little too strong for you, let me, let me show you what Jesus said in Matthew 21. Matthew 21, verse 43, it's in the context of the, uh, the parable of the tenants. And Jesus says, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. The church is the new Israel. Um, that's why, for example, in Galatians 6, Paul calls the church the Israel of God. Or in Philippians 3, he says, it is we who are the circumcision, we who worship God by the Spirit. Or uh, he says in Galatians 3 that the children of Abraham are those who have the faith of Abraham, uh, whether Jew or Gentile. They are the children of Abraham. So, 
the, the, the purpose of God expressed originally through Abraham is now fulfilled in Christ and those who are in Christ in his church. So this is what God, Christ is doing. He's beginning the church as he chooses 12. This means that we too are in his purpose. This is our task today. To be with him, to be transformed by that, by his powerful, holy presence, and then to go forth to bring the good news to everyone. That everyone needs to hear this astonishing good news of God's love in Jesus Christ. Upon them fell the responsibility of the chosen. They were chosen, and that responsibility came upon them. And upon us also falls the responsibility of the chosen. If you are a Christian, you have been chosen. The Bible says, even as he chose us in him before the creation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He chose you before you were born. He chose you before your parents were born. He chose you before the earth was created. You are known and loved by God. If you belong to Christ, you are, you are his. You, are, you, you have been chosen and you have responded. You've, you've responded to the call of faith. And so we are privileged to be those transformed by his presence and sent out for his mission. You know, there's no room for just people hanging on. Nominal Christians uh, or fire escape Christians, you know, I'm just here because I want to escape hell. That's not what it is. That's not what it, we're taught in this passage. Christ has chosen us to know him and to continue his mission. That is our privilege and that is our responsibility. Upon us falls the responsibility of the chosen. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your grace to us. When we think of your purpose, of your power, of your mercy, we are astonished. We thank you, Lord, for your work in choosing these men and using them, even though they were really ignorant common people, you chose them and you used them. And Lord, it is our burning desire to be faithful to you, to be transformed by your spirit and by your word, and to be faithful in bringing Jesus and your love and your glory and your goodness to others. Lord, bless this church, we pray. May it be a lighthouse that shines and grows and expands for the glory of God in this town, in this region, in the Hudson Valley, we pray. Amen.